Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Scripture, a podcast where we illustrate relevance and application of the scriptures in Come Follow Me. We also dive into the history and cultures of the text. Thanks for taking the time to share and subscribe to this podcast. For show notes, head over to our website, TalkingScripture.org. Welcome to Talking Scripture. I'm Mike. And I'm Bryce. And today we're going to be talking about 1 Nephi 11 through 15, the uh, vision of the tree of life. And this is going to be uh, Nephi's interpretation, which we've kind of looked at as well. And then he has a series of visions after he has this stuff explained to him. Bryce, let's do big picture first. Big picture, what's your takeaway from these chapters? This is really good teaching on the Lord's part, and I think he's setting us up to become good learners. So Lehi has this symbolic vision. Lehi sees a tree. Lehi sees a rod. All the things we talked about in our last podcast, he sees the actual images. And then he is left to kind of learn to apply the images. Well, the Nephi says, I want to know more. I want to understand more. I believe what my father said. I want to know. So take me to the next level. So notice what the Lord doesn't do. He doesn't come in and say, oh, look, there's a tree, there's a rod, there's a river, there's a building, and give him the same thing. What he does is he says, Nephi, I'm going to tell you three stories. Let me show you three historical events, three time periods, And you see if you can find in each one of them the tree, the rod, the river, the building. The angel never tells him what the tree is. He just shows him the birth of Christ. He shows him Mary having a baby and then the coming forth of the Son of God. And Nephi says, oh my goodness, I get it. I I understand what the tree is. I find the tree in that story. And then as the story continues, he finds each one of the elements. And so, as a student of that, we need to keep going to the next level. Nephi doesn't necessarily interpret every single image in each story. He kind of leaves us to do that ourselves. So, that's what we're going to do in this podcast, is we're going to take each one of these three historical settings, and we're going to say, what's the tree? Can you see the tree? Now, one of the things we need to focus on, as we focus on the tree, which is the manifestation of God's love, and the rod which is the source of help that leads us to that love, we're going to see if we can focus primarily on what is the imitation happiness that they confused for the tree, that they thought would make them happy instead of the true love of God. What is the building? How were they fooled by an imitation? And then we're also going to say, what was the mist? What blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts? Now, this is really good practice because we're going to take three stories that we know. And if we get good at this, then we can use all scriptures, the whole rest of the Book of Mormon, and our own personal lives, or even an experience. Let's suppose you have an experience. Did you see the tree in that experience? Did you see the rod? If we can begin to identify some of the blinders that blind our eyes or other people's eyes, and then some of the buildings that are in the imitation happinesses, then we can begin to find the tree. I remind you that the tree was sweet above all that was sweet. There is no happiness greater than the love of God. So let's take a look at these three stories and we'll say, okay, what was the tree? What was the rod? What was the building? What was the mist? And sometimes we'll get to the river. We don't always get to the river because we don't need to dwell on how these people were destroyed. I think the river also, and we'll do this a little bit later in the podcast, but I think, Bryce, the river can be multivalent. 
all of these symbols are multivalent. But the river, it's such an interesting thing because in the eighth chapter, it's totally portrayed as neutral. And then in the 11th and the 12th chapter, we get this interesting take. There's one time where it's literally called the fountain and it's living and it's manifested as the love of God. But then Nephi later says, well, the reason my dad doesn't describe it that way is because he was focused on other things. And so I think one way to look at this is maybe Nephi's take and Lehi's might be different. There's another conception that is interesting, and this comes out of the Exodus narrative, where there's bitter waters, and then they take a tree. And, and they put the tree in the water, and it gets sweet. And if you think about this vision, we have the bitter water, we have the sweet water, we have the tree. Yeah. So, Bryce, let's talk about the three stories. So, okay. chapter 11 is the story of the Jews and how they approach the tree. Chapter 12 would be the Nephite nation. And the 13th and 14th chapter is a third and different story, and that is the other people, the Goyim, the Gentiles, how they approach this. Yeah. Is that a good And I really think we can say that chapter 11 is the New Testament. Right. Chapter 12 is the Book of Mormon, and chapter 13 is the Restoration, or at least our time period. And I think there's a question mark there, and it's, what are you going to choose? Right. Yeah. Because it, it hasn't been written. Our story isn't finished. Right. Good. So, okay, so do, should we do Jews first? And let's first start with, 11? yeah, the time of Jesus, the birth of the Savior through right. his crucifixion, and the aftermath of his crucifixion. All of that is chapter 11. So if you'll turn there, it all starts with Mary... And by the way, I like this where he says, I want to know, well, what is the tree? Yeah. And he shows him Mary. And in the ancient Near East, the tree was the divine mother. The tree's multivalent. So it represents the king. It represents the divine mother. The lap of the goddess was the throne. And if you remember, the Holy of Holies descending from heaven in Revelation 22 has the throne. It has the river. It has the tree. And so if you look at this imagery, you have the lap of Mary, which is the throne. You have the tree, and then you have the king. Jesus is the king. The tree is the king. And by the way, quick geek out moment. If you've watched Tolkien's films, what does the king have on his chest? He's got the tree. Tolkien knows this stuff. Anyway, so so he sees Mary. So he sees Mary, and then he sees the birth of the Savior, and it just dawns on him what the tree is. Seeing Jesus come into the world and knowing how that occurred and what was required to make that occur, he says, oh my goodness, I can't believe that our Heavenly Father loves us that much. And then I can't believe that Jesus loves us that much, that he would give his life to save us. I understand the tree in my Father's dream. The tree is the love of God. So the manifestation of the tree in the New Testament times was the birth of Christ. There is no greater evidence that God loves the world and intends to save it than the birth of Christ. Why would he, why would he send his son into a world he desired to condemn and destroy? That is the greatest evidence that God loves us. Can you think of a more tender in it image? Than, I love verse 20. I looked and beheld the virgin bearing a child in her arms. Yeah. Is there anything more pure and more filled with hope? I once had a friend say, every time I see a baby, I realize that there's hope for the world. And what great hope. Jesus is the hope. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him. It's beautiful. And then through, as this vision goes on, he sees the one that was sent to prepare the way for the Savior. He sees John the Baptist. The prophet who should prepare the way. And Nephi says, oh my gosh, there's the rod. 
I can see that someone was sent to the Jews to lead people to Christ. He sees 12 others. He sees the teachings. He sees all of these sources of help that were given to the Jews to lead them to the Savior. And then as he sits there, he watches the Jews crucify Jesus. And then he begins to get a taste for the building and the mist. Notice in verse 35 of chapter 11, he starts talking about the building. And if you are fooled by an imitation, you will end up fighting against God. And I think it's okay to say this, that the imitation in the gospel narratives, the imitation building to a lot of these Jews was the messianic expectations that they had. And this is my belief. I And I think the Book of Mormon, I, if I had to pick a side, you know, the Book of Mormon is going to conflict a little bit with some of the Old Testament texts. In the Old Testament, the messianic promises are all astrological. They're all last days, and he's coming in as a king, which he will. But I believe that the redemptive Messiah that was to come and die was originally in the Bible, and that Lehi represents this school. There was a school of people that believed in Yahweh that knew that he would come and die. And if you read the Old Testament, that stuff's edited out. And I think that's part of the plain and precious things. Is there anything more precious than the true knowledge of Jesus? Jesus is what is plain and precious. And so can you see this, Bryce? Would you agree that their imitation is they don't see Jesus because they have a totally different expectation of who he's supposed to be? And that expectation creates in them a desire to be important. And I think part of the imitation that fooled the Jews in the time of Christ is they wanted to be important. They wanted to be significant. They wanted to be known and recognized. I think one of the reasons they went so out of their way to obey the Sabbath day was because we're better than everyone else. And so one of the buildings I think we learn from chapter 11 is that being important will make you happy. Being known and recognized and acknowledged and having lots of likes on Facebook and have everyone think you're beautiful and fall at your feet and think you're wonderful, that's a false imitation. That's an imitation happiness. Would you say that it's a bucket that never gets filled? It never gets filled. It's the building. And so that's one example from chapter 11 is they were fooled by an imitation happiness that would never make them happy. And because of that, because Christ ended up threatening that image, they rejected him. So what then were the blinders? What was the mist? Why did the Jews crucify Christ? Why did the Jews of Jesus' day reject him and crucify him? And I think the blinders for them was that he wasn't the Messiah they were hoping for. He wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a military leader that would free them from Rome. They wanted someone that would feed them miraculously bread from heaven. He gives them bread, and then they're like, we want to make you king. They want to crown him king. I'm out of here. But he kind of fit that image of what they wanted, and then he quickly changes that. And that night, he walks on the water and makes them row for nine hours, as if to say, no, I'm not that Messiah. And so I think one of the lessons we learn from chapter 11 is to not reject the Savior because he's not the Messiah we want him to be. And by the way, I think the Book of Mormon does clearly show you Jesus through – I love when you talked about this in 1 Nephi where Nephi says, I had a bunch of bad stuff happen to me, but in it I came to know Jesus. And I have a testimony of that, that if you read 1 Nephi, those chapters – That's Jesus. In other words, he is a God that is totally okay with us having hard things. And having to try a couple times. And having to And mess up. And that one didn't work, so let's try it again. Get up. But in the end, we get it right. Yeah. 
And, you know, he's the Jesus of the Jaredite journey that says, look, when your life is in danger because you don't have error, I'll tell you exactly what to do. But when it comes to light, you got to figure that one out. This is the Jesus that he is, but yeah. sometimes he's not the Messiah we want him to be. And that blinds us and hardens us. And that's what happens in chapter 11. Chapter 11 reveals that the Jews of the Savior's time were blinded and hardened to him because he wasn't what they wanted. And how many of us sometimes reject Christ because he's not doing the things in our life that we wanted him to do? Or another way to look at that, if this is the church of Jesus, then we expect it to be perfect. And when it's not when it's not what we expect the church of Jesus to be, sometimes we walk away. It hardens our hearts and blinds our eyes, and so we walk away. So some great lessons from chapter 11. The the tree is the birth of Christ. The rod, we've got John, we've got the 12, we've got so many people that we're leading people to find Jesus. I love how it says there's even angels there. Verse 30, angels are ministering, and so... I like that, yeah. But then there's a building. There's an imitation happiness. There's false ideas that they think are going to make them happy. And then there's a blinder. The The mist of darkness in the time of the Savior was he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted him to be. So don't make that mistake. Yeah. So Nephites. Chapter 12. Ne- Nephites. And th- I think, in my opinion, when Nephi has this vision at the end, he has a Prozac moment where he comes and he's just so depressed and he walks into this argument that his brothers are having and they don't understand some parts of the vision. And I love how Nephi drops his depression and he helps them even in the midst of this sadness. And in my estimation, I think Nephi's sadness is rooted in chapter 12. This is a man who's not yet a father. He's not yet married. And when he has this vision, he sees his descendants. And I just can't think of anything more sad than seeing your, your kids go astray. It's the same reaction that we see Lehi have back in chapter 8 when he notices that Laman and Lemuel don't make it to the tree. And Nephi sees that his descendants are going to be destroyed because they're going to turn to wickedness. So, so what's the tree to the Nephites, Bryce? Again, notice we begin with this mist of darkness in verse 4, lightnings, thunder, and then all of a sudden, verse 6, the heavens open up, the Lamb of God descending out of heaven showed himself unto them. So it's not the birth of Jesus this time, but it's the visit of Christ. It's the come here and feel the nail marks in my in my hands. It's come and know that I am the Messiah. And so again, what was the manifestation of the love of God to the Nephites and the Lamanites? He came, he let he he did his job in Jerusalem and he didn't forget them. He came to America. He, they felt the nail marks in his hands. And by the way, he's at the temple. This is the king coming to the temple. Do you remember when they go to the, in chapter 8 and they go and partake of the fruit? It says that they fell down and partook of the fruit. And in Third Nephi and in uh, the previous chapter, when they meet the king, they fall down. This is kingly image. This is so cool. This is Jesus coming in as king of the universe, and he's coming to, to meet him. So that's the tree. There's the tree. Yeah. What are you going to do with the rod? Now, there's a couple references. In chapter 12, look at verse 7. I saw and bear record that the Holy Ghost fell upon 12 others. Talks about that they were ordained and chosen. 12 disciples of the Lamb, 12 apostles, 12 ministers in verse 9. And I think there's a reference here that all throughout the Nephite history and Lamanite history, the Lord sent prophets and apostles to guide them to the tree. 
that they had scripture and prophetic words. And so that was the rod, the rod to the Nephites and the Lamanites is he always sent them prophets who taught them. And you can't reject the you prophets can't. and get to the tree. In third Nephi, Jesus says, these are my guys. I can't wait to get there. That's good stuff. So the rod are these witnesses, these ministers. So the mist of darkness. It's so interesting when you read the Old Testament, Bryce, uh, so many times the authors talk about their mist as like the false gods of the nations around them. But with the Nephites, we don't get a lot of this. We don't have them talking about the strange gods of wherever this took place. What's their mist? So let's split it. Let's divide it into Nephites and Lamanites. And this is kind of where we have to depart from chapter 12 and use the whole Book of Mormon. I think the Lord is giving us license here to say, you've got the story of the Nephites and the Lamanites. Go big picture and let's split them up. So what was the imitation happiness that the Lamanites had? What do the Lamanites think would always make them happy? They feel that Laman was robbed of his proper leadership role that we're the people that should be in charge. And so it seems to me that the Lamanites are always after getting revenge and getting even and get, and sticking it to you and getting back what was mine. All of those things are false buildings that won't make you happy. Just because you're the leader of a group doesn't make you happy. Just getting revenge on someone who's hurt you doesn't make you happy. That's it's a, a false building. That's a bucket building. that won't get full. It'll never get full. And, and I know you're saying it without saying it, and I'm not going to say it either, but you don't have to go stray too far in today's world to meet this building yeah. of people that are like, we want to get you, and we, we were wronged. And like I said, I'm not going to get specific, but yeah. that's Mosiah 10, isn't it? It is. And it's so often in the scriptures that the Lamanites want revenge. They want to hurt the people who stole. I mean, this is the war chapters. We want to avenge the wrongs of our fathers. We want to hurt the people who hurt us. Well, that is a false building. It will never bring peace. It will never bring happiness and satisfaction. Now, justice needs to be served, and, and I get that. I'm not trying to go that way. But if your building is revenge, it's going to be a false building. So what was the building for the Nephites? When the Nephites go astray, almost without fail, when the Nephites go astray, what is it that they want? Well, I think one of them is they're always chasing money of some sort. Yeah. It's always pride. It's yeah. always money. And almost every single time the Nephites go astray, they're after that money and power and prestige. And that, brothers and sisters, is a horrible building. It is a horrible God. It is an imitation tree that will just never make you happy. I like Hugh Nibley one time said that there is a relationship between angels and wealth in the Book of Mormon. And he said it's an inverse relationship. As the wealth goes up, the visions go down. And his point wasn't that money was bad, but if that's all you're chasing— if we're just here chasing coin and we're not doing anything else, we're kind of missing the whole point. We're clinging on the wrong stuff. That's right. It's a building that has a horrible foundation and it's going to crumble. So now let's look mist. Okay. So we, we did building for Nephites and Lamanites. Let's split mist into Nephites and Lamanites. So what blinds the Lamanites? Why can't they see that the Nephites have the truth, that they have the scriptures, that the Spirit is with them? What blinds the Lamanites to see the tree and the rod? If the rod is the prophet among the Nephites, why can't the Lamanites ever see it? Well, may I suggest that one of the biggest blinders, one of the biggest mists is anger, yeah. anger and hatred. 
How many times does anger blind us and harden our hearts? It blinds husbands to wives and wives to husbands and parents to children. It blinds us to God. We get angry at God. And every time, all throughout the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon is a commentary on blinded by anger. And you just can't see the truth. Um, Lamoni's father, what are you doing with this Nephite? You should kill him. So what then is the blinders among the Nephites? When the Nephites go astray, why can't they see the truth? So let's turn to a few scriptures. When Nephites are kind of going astray and see if we can see a common theme. One, we've got 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 28. When they are learned, they think they are wise. So yeah, the cunning plan of the evil one, the vainness and frailties and foolishness of men, when they are learned, they think they are wise and they hearken not to the counsel of God. For they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves, wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they perish. So what's the blinder, Mike? Well, I think the blinder is we think we know. There we think we, we know what's going on. But I love, I love verse 29 because I love to learn stuff, but I think it's okay. I think he says to be learned is good if they hearken to the counsels of God. So because I, I got to say this. I think Nephi is a smart guy. I think he knows languages. I think he knows culture. But to him, it's a vehicle to get to Jesus. One, one of the things that's sad to me is sometimes I see people, I associate with a lot of people that study religion. And what's so sad is I see some people go down the path of biblical studies, and then they totally lose their faith. And I think Nephi is saying, yeah, that's, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Because knowledge makes me think I'm great. And blinds my eyes to who I am and who God is. And I don't see the tree. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see, see Jesus see anymore. How about flip to Mosiah chapter 11? This is King Noah's people. Same idea here. Mosiah chapter 11, verse 19. Read that one, Mike. Notice the same theme here. Yeah. The people of King Noah felt what? Here we go. And now because of the great, the great victory, they were lifted up in the pride of their hearts, and they did boast in their own strength, saying that their 50 could stand against the thousands of the Lamanites. And thus they did boast and did delight in blood and the shedding of blood of their brethren. And this because of the wickedness of their king and priests. See that same theme? We are strong. We are great. We are wonderful. Alma chapter 9, the city of Ammoniah, the wicked city of Ammoniah that got destroyed, verses 4 and 5. And they also said, We will not believe thy words if thou shouldst prophesy that this great city should be destroyed in one day. Now they knew not that God could do such a marvelous work, for they were hard-hearted and a stiff-necked people. We're strong. We're too strong for this to happen. I think one thing Scripture tells us is nobody's too strong. It doesn't matter how big your walls are. <laughs> Let's go to Helaman, because we know the Nephites get very, very wicked in the book of Helaman, while the Lamanites are getting righteous, and they're going to say the same thing. This is what they say to Nephi when he's praying in his garden. Helaman 8, 6. And now we know that this is impossible, for behold, we are powerful, our cities are great, therefore our enemies can have no power this over is, us. This is exactly when the Nephites are becoming wicked. So I think we can clearly identify a Nephite building, a Nephite mist, a Lamanite building, and a Lamanite mist. Now, one of the reasons those stories are being told isn't that we can condemn them and point the finger, but we learn from them. Are you fooled by the imitation of money? 
the things that this world has to offer. That's a Nephite building. The Lamanite building is revenge. I want get even. I want to hurt you. It will make me happy if you are in pain. And their blinder was anger. And the Nephite blinder is this idea that I don't need God. I'm powerful. I don't need to turn to the Lord. I can do it myself. And as soon as that blinder goes on, you can't see the tree, you can't see the rod, and we usually end up falling into the river. And so in both cases of the river, when it comes to both the Jewish nation in the 11th chapter and the Nephites in the 12th, it doesn't turn out well. It It, It just does not work. Horrible things happen. I mean, Mormon 515, they have wars, they dwindle in unbelief. And then Mormon 8... Verses 7 and 8, the Nephites are destroyed, and the Lamanites are continually at war. And if you study some of these uh, cultures of, of America in, during that time period, it was a time of continual war. And so with that, I think we'll talk now about—and this is two chapters. We're, we're going to talk about the vision of the Gentiles. A lot of this waxes in apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic literature is— Estiological, it's futuristic, and it has to do with war. I like to say it's the Michael Bay of scripture. But apocalyptic literature, one of the ways you know you're reading it is because you read it and you're like, I'm not really sure what this is or what to do with this. And so a lot of this vision, there's some history in here, but then a lot of this is tied into the end times. And I love how towards the end of this vision, the angel tells Nephi, I'm going to show you this, but you're not going to write it. And then he says that the apostle of the Lamb of God, John, is going to write it. So my invitation to you is when you read the 14th and 15th chapter, go and read those chapters in the book of Revelation and think big picture. Think about the heavens and God working with his people. And it always ends, once again, at the tree. Revelation 22, they take you to the tree where there's the throne and there's the river and there's the king and there's the fruit, and he wipes away your tears. And this is what we shared back in our Revelation podcast, that it flows out of the tree of life vision. You have to connect Revelation with the images of the tree of life. Because they're looking at the same thing. They're things. looking at the same thing. And I love how the, the Lord says to Nephi, Nephi, don't write it down. And Nephi is like, okay, um, but then I'm going to talk about Isaiah. And here's my take. I think, you ready? (laughs) Isaiah sees the same stuff. Yeah, I love this verse where uh, he's like, don't write it down. That's 1 Nephi 14, 25. And then I love verse 26. And also others who have been to them hath he shown all things and they have written them and they are sealed to come forth in their purity according to the truth, which is in the Lamb of God in the own due time of the Lord unto the house of Israel. So my contention is not only has John seen this and John writes it down, but Nephi's seen it, Isaiah's seen it, Enoch's seen it. Brother um, Jared saw it. Brother Jared, others. And some of this stuff is scattered in what's called pseudepigraphal writings or apocryphal literature. And if you read some of this stuff, and I'll reference some of this in the show notes, they're talking about the tree and the river and God fixing stuff and coming back to the tree. And it's not just in Revelation, and it's not just in the Bible, and it's not just here. It's scattered in antiquity. But Joseph isn't aware of this stuff. It's 1829 in this book's published. So anyway, back to the text. Yeah, so so let's go back to the tree, because this is where I just get so excited and I get so, so thrilling. We saw the tree among the in the New Testament was the birth of Christ. We saw that the tree in the Book of Mormon was the visit of Christ. 
So what is the tree in our day? Now, very quick walk through the history. So in verse 12, he sees Christopher Columbus come across the ocean and come to the seat of his brethren. He sees in verse 13, the pilgrims. In verse 17, he sees the Revolutionary War and that the England was gathered on the waters to fight against the colonists. And he sees that the Lord was with the colonists and he prospered them and they win the war. So now he's established the timeline. We're talking early American history. And then in verse 20, he sees a book. So we've gone from establishing the timeline to now making the point. In verse 20, he sees a book in the hands of the Gentiles. So what book would have been in the hands of the early colonists that, according to verse 23, contained the record of the Jews, the covenants of the Lord, the prophecies, just not as big as the brass plates? Well, clearly, that's the Bible. And just like Nephi was shocked when he watched them crucify Christ, or just like he was shocked when he saw the Nephites destroy his own seed in chapter 12, he's shocked to see what happens to the Bible in chapter 13. So the angel says in verse 24, when it proceeded out of the mouth of the Jews, it contained the fullness of the gospel. Verse 25, it goes forth in its purity. When the Bible was first written, it was plain and pure and precious, and chapter 14 is going to use the word easy to understand. But then, verse 26, Nephi sees the formation of the great and abominable church, which does what in verse 26? It's taking away the plain and precious stuff. Nephi must be freaking out as he watches this. Just like he freaked out when he watched them crucify Christ, he's saying, why are they stripping the Bible out of all these plain and precious things? What's going to happen? Now, notice verse 27, and your radar should go up that we're talking about the mist here, because when the Bible loses its plain and precious things, it blinds the eyes and hardens the hearts. Verse 29, after the plain and precious things were taken away, it goes forth to the Gentiles, and because of the plain and precious things, they stumble. So Nephi's freaking out here, saying, what is going on? And the Lord says, it's okay, Nephi, I won't let them stay in this state of unbelief. Here's how I'm going to solve the problem. Verse 35, I will manifest myself unto thy seed, that they may write it. And in the writings of thy seed, there will be plain and precious truths. And these things shall be hid up to come forth from the hill Cumorah by the power of God. And in them will be written by my gospel and my rock. And then as he describes the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the record of the Nephites, he says in verse 40 that these last records will establish the truth of the first and then make known the plain and precious parts which have been taken away. And specifically, end of verse 40, of all the plain and precious parts that were taken away, what's the most precious plain and precious part that the Book of Mormon will restore to the Gentiles? Who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And now that's the end of the chapter. And so I now ask you, do you see the tree? In the days of the New Testament, the tree was the birth of Christ. In the days of the Book of Mormon, the tree was the visit of Christ. In our day, the tree is the restoration of the gospel. There is no greater manifestation 
to us that God loves the world and hasn't lost hope and continues to want to save us and continues to love us. The greatest evidence that God still loves us is the restoration. The restoration is the tree. So what then is the raw? That's kind of an obvious question. Yeah. It's the book that he that came forth. It's all the other books that come forth in our day that restore the plain and precious parts. I love it even says in verse 39, I beheld other books. And as someone who loves texts, I want more. More right? truth, got, revelation, more. Uh, insights, things coming. I, I would also add the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We have 12 apostles today that on this tradition that Joseph Smith has restored are pointing us to Christ. Sometimes, and I want to talk about this briefly, we could miss the tree even though we're with the rod. Yes. You remember back in chapter 8 when we talked about there's four levels of people, the ones that feel their way to the building, the threes are the ones that commence in the path but don't grab the rod, and the twos are the clingers? Yeah. Now, it's good to cling to the rod if you don't have the rod in your life, but the twos didn't stay at the tree. There's something they're clearly doing wrong, and that is they're clinging to the wrong thing. They're clinging to the rod rather than letting the rod guide them to what they're supposed to be clinging to, right. which is the tree. The point is the love of rod. God. Yeah. The, the rod isn't the point. Yeah. It's Jesus. You've, the scriptures aren't the end product. They're the means of finding Jesus. I find that fascinating because some of the people that wanted to crucify Jesus knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. Right. And Jesus is like, in them, you think you have eternal life. And yet right in front of them was the tree. And so I think in all of our doing and being religious, whether you're making a podcast or you're serving up a casserole or you're the best missionary ever and you just baptized a whole city, the whole point is Jesus. And I think sometimes culturally, depending on where you are, you could get caught up in, well, am I the district leader? Or what position do I hold in the church? Or what's my position at work? And there's all these things that we kind of... Good things we cling to. Yeah, good, good things that we can cling to. But really, what's the whole point of the rod? And so as as you and I were discussing this, Bryce, I got to tell you, sometimes I geek out about the scriptures and I think they're so cool, but... We can't miss what the point of the scriptures are in there to bring us to Christ, to change our nature and help us to be more like him. And that's the tree in our day. It's that we have come to know who Jesus is. We have scriptures that lead us to Jesus. So now, Mike, let's ask two very powerful questions. And painful. (laughs) And painful. What is the building and what is the mist? Notice that he kept saying that the loss of the plain and precious truths are what blinds and hardens. The biggest mist in our day are the false religious ideas that come from only having a portion of the truth and not having the fullness of the truth. It's those who cry out, a Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible. And we don't need any more Bible. The reason the world can't see the tree today, the reason they reject the Book of Mormon and they reject the restoration is because they are blinded by their false ideas. They're blinded by the false ideas that come when you have lost plain and precious truths and you don't have the fullness of the gospel, which is ironic because the Book of Mormon will lead you to the fullness, but they reject the Book of Mormon because they have these preconceived notions. So Nephi is going to go on to condemn, as he saw in our day, that there would be many who reject the Book of Mormon. A Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible. And many of us have served missions in places where people just adhere so 
tightly to their religious beliefs that they reject the restoration and the fullness of the gospel. They are blind to the rod because of their false ideas that come from only having a portion of the truth. There's so many ways to be blind in this vision. I think that the tree is definitely masked by the mist, but it seems like the building is always in the forefront. It's always prevalent and you can hear it. And I think, because I hang out with young people all the time, I think this is one of the myths of, of their day is we're swimming in culture. And it's not just the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but in the West, it seems like across the board in all religions, because of this culture that we're in, we're culturally losing trust in institutions like finance and authority figures, government and religion. We have the internet, we have access to information, and I like that part, but with it, because there's an opposition in all things and we have access to all this information, we can see the messiness of religion and the messiness of government and the messiness of text. And so I think it's really good as Latter-day Saints, when we talk about the gospel, to talk about the plain and precious parts, but to also talk about that it's okay to have questions and to make it a safe place where we can discuss it. I certainly don't know all the answers, but I think that's one of our myths, Bryce, right now that we live in. And maybe it's different depending on where you are. I really like the question you asked where you said, okay, what is your building? All of us have a mist. We have something that's making us miss it. Maybe it's, what am I missing in my relationship with my children or my spouse? And the amazing thing is we all have a blind spot in our eye. But we don't know that it's there because we fill it in. We all have a blind spot when we drive, and you're going to get in an accident unless you turn your head and check it. So if you don't know what your building is or you don't know what your blinder is, then the message of the tree of life is you've got to grab the rod because it's the rod that leads you through the mist. So let's make the assumption that I am blind, and there are things in my life that I can't see clearly because I'm blind to them, and there are false ideas in my head that make me think that something else is going to make me happy. What is my salvation? What is my hope? How in the world can I live in a world filled with buildings and mists and make it to the tree? Well, the answer is simple. You got to have enough faith in the Word of God to get it into your life. You've got to get the Word of God into your life. President Nelson has been saying, we'll never survive in the latter days until we get personal revelation. That's the Word of God. We can't think that the rod is only Scripture. There's so many forms that the rod, that the Word of God takes. Personal revelation is just as significant. So the only way I'm going to get out of my blind spots, the only way I'm going to pull the blinders off is if I turn to Heavenly Father, I seek the Holy Ghost, I turn to the Scriptures. But don't turn to the Scriptures and cling to them. Turn to the Scriptures and find the tree. You know, let me package how this works in my life. Sometimes I'll be right before I go to sleep or right in the morning, you know, right in the morning when you wake up and you're not quite there, I call it those, those twilight moments, I'll have just a flood of insight or I'll be reading a text and it's not even about the text, but I'll have this thought of you need to do this. And I think that's a way that Heavenly Father, I think those are messages from heaven to keep us on the path. I think that's how it works. Yeah. By heeding the messages that come from heaven to your soul, you are grabbing the rod. And the rod will lead you through your blinders. And the rod will keep you out of the building. And so the safety net 
is life can be navigated just fine in these latter days in spite of the fact that there's so many imitations and there's so many blinders out there. We can navigate them as long as we have hold of the iron rod. And I would include all forms of that, that I'm going to the temple to seek the iron rod. I'm, when I go to church and I listen to sacrament meeting, I'm hearing the speaker, but I'm really trying to listen for the whisperings of the Holy Ghost coming into my soul because that's the rod. And when I read the scriptures, I love to see what the prophet said in the scriptures, but what I'm really listening for is the revelation that comes to me as I read the scriptures because that's the rod. And so the Lamanites were blinded, the Nephites were blinded, the Jews were blinded, Gentiles get blinded, but the solution was the same for every single one of them. Hold fast to the iron rod. Hold through the darkness, press forward, trusting, and it will lead you to the tree. By the way, this is the biggest narration in the entire text of the Book of Mormon. I mean, Jacob 5 is huge. That's one chapter. But if you really look at this vision, 11, 12, 13, 14, that chunk of text is so big, and it's one continuous experience that Nephi is having. And in the end, he says, oh, by the way, readers, I'm just telling you a small part. I love verse 28 of 14. He's like, what I've written sufficeth me, and I've written but a small part of the things which I saw. Right. So in other words, Nephi is saying there's so much more. If you want to know what he saw, he saw the book of Revelation. So what's my encouragement, Bryce? What am I going to invite everybody to do? So go to Revelation, and I would make another plug. This is the basis of the whole Book of Mormon. I really do believe that the whole rest of the Book of Mormon is kind of built on this paradigm here. And so every story you read in the Book of Mormon, you can look for what is the manifestation of God's love? How did God manifest in that story that he's with us, that he loves us, that he cares about us? What delivered that message? What was the rod? How do I connect with God? But in almost every story in the Book of Mormon, there's going to be a building, which is the imitation happiness that's the opposite of that true happiness, and a mist which blinds our eyes. So if we get comfortable with this strategy, then study every book of Scripture looking for Jesus in it. Find the tree in every story. Find the rod. Watch for the buildings and the mists that will lead you away and you'll get to the tree. And then do the same thing in your life. I just love that message. Awesome. A couple notes. We didn't get too much into the 15th chapter, but this is where the brothers are kind of fighting about it. And so Nephi says, well, did you inquire? Because they're like, we don't understand any of this stuff about what our father said back in chapter 10. And Nephi says, well, did you inquire? And they say, the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. They believe Nephi knows. They don't believe it works for them. And so I want to tack that on with Bryce's invitation. Make the Book of Mormon work for you. Nephi's showing you the pattern. And so at the end of the 15th chapter, he just repackages it again and explains what the vision's about. And so next time we'll get together and we'll start in the 16th chapter of First Nephi. And so with that, we just want to thank you for listening. We would not do this podcast if you guys didn't listen. So it's fun to be part of this. And I just want to end with my testimony that the Book of Mormon is what it claims to be. And what it says about Jesus is correct. And with that, we'll see you next time. If you like this video, be sure to subscribe. And if you haven't already, go check out our YouTube channel called Talking Scripture. On that channel, Bryce and I have been working on some new video content. 
These new videos are in addition to the regular podcasts that Bryce and I do together and supplements to your Come Follow Me study. And we'll leave a link in the description. Once again, thanks for joining us and make it a great week. Talking Scripture is not an official production of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed in this podcast are Mike and Bryce's opinions only. We refer you to official church sources and the church website to clarify any doctrinal questions.